0: Live Paranormal Radio Network, and iHeartRadio.com. We're also on uh, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podomatic, Blog Talk Radio, Player FM, iVox, and more. I'm your host, Sheena Metal. I'm a psychic medium. I'm an interfaith minister. I'm a 28-year talk radio host in Los Angeles and beyond. I'm a creative and a performing artist, and I come to you live from my home In Southern California, every day at 3 o'clock Pacific time. Raising the Vibration, the radio show, is an outreach of a nonprofit movement of peace and love and kindness and unity that I founded in 2016, really to carry on my mother's legacy, the teachings that I received from her, both spiritually and from a humanitarian perspective. uh, Mom always believed we needed to have more peace, more love, more kindness, and more unity throughout the human family in order to live a better life for each of us. With this show, I've also added the cornerstone words ascend, evolve, inspire, and love. Basically, what are you doing to raise your own personal vibration? How is that adding to your overall evolvement? And then how are you taking both of those things and using them to inspire others and to put more love into the world? Basically, this show is about passion, it's about service, it's about what are you doing to make the world a better place, and uh, have you found your place, and then how are you hoping to inspire others to do the same? So every week on the show, I gather folks that I believe to be the brightest and most beautiful minds and hearts and souls in the spiritual community, the entertainment community, the world of give back, all of my communities, and we just talk about... What can we do to raise the vibration of it all? So my guest today um, is it's his first time on any of my shows. I'm so excited to have them. Um, I I co-host a friend show every two weeks, and Nick was a guest on that show uh, uh, last month, earlier this month, and so I just sort of fell in love with their just attitude about everything and knowledge about everything, not just the LGBTQ plus community, but just humanity in general. Some, you, know, you know when people are your people, a friend said to me once, and I think that's true. So so Nick is a is a non-binary genderqueer designer and advocate and activist based here in L.A., um, known most for creating high-quality, gender-neutral footwear, Nick Casey footwear, and also uh, they're involved with the Queer Prom and there's so much exciting stuff going on. I want them to tell you all about. Uh, please welcome to the show, my wonderful new friend Nick Casey. Hi, sweetie. How are you? It's good to hear your voice. Good. How are you? Thank you so
1: much for having me, Shino. I'm excited to be on your Absolutely. show.
0: Absolutely. Oh, and I knew you were for- perfect when we sat on, on Gay Ann's show together on Between the Sheets together, because I some people just radiate that being on their own path, and we all need to be on our own spiritual path, right? That's super important but also like, what can you do to add to the whole of the earth and make it just a little bit better? And thank I completely you. saw that in you. And I love that. And that's why I wanted to get you here. So thank you for being here.
1: Thank you. I I, I love that feeling of being seen. So thank you so much for that.
0: So when did you realize, because you're an artist, right? You and I both started as artists. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you realize that, your art wasn't just about you. It was about how it was contributing to to the world overall and making the world a better place.
1: Uh, well, since I was a child, um, I was actually, I guess I could consider myself an artist since I was very young because it was one way I found an outlet to express myself. And I found that most of the art that I did would really um, – it really represented how I was struggling on the inside and how I felt on the inside. So whether it was like doing, you know, masculine clothing or sculpting very androgynous, ambiguous, genderless bodies, um, you know, and those are things that at the time I would have never realized why. Right. Um, it was just something that was just really deep, much, much deeper inside that I was trying to discover myself. And, I think as I became older and an adult, I realized that I wasn't the only one who was struggling and that I did not, I was not born into a world that was very kind to me. And that is, if I'm going to choose to exist and live and thrive, then I need to really dedicate myself to making this world a little bit better so that, no one else would feel the way I felt.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think mean, that's so important, and, and I think that just should be a no-brainer for every human on the earth. Although I know, sadly, Nick, it's not. But it should be, right? I mean, we should all be. Here. <laughs> right. I mean, look. Look at an ant farm, right? I mean, ants are all working for the benefit of everyone else, and everybody like, does their ants, thing. And it. I
1: mean, there's so many, so many things in nature. <laughs> innately organically yeah. are designed, you know, to think of the whole, the greater whole, right? And um I almost feel like sometimes that humans might be the only living beings on this planet that doesn't all have that mentality.
0: Mm, I agree. I agree. Yeah. My mom had an expression. Um, human beings are just smart enough to be dangerous. And I think we're just smart enough to think that we're so smart that we don't need Mm -hmm. to work on anything, when the truth is we probably have a lot more to work on than other species that are always connected to spirit and also follow their instincts and do what is best for everyone. And and I I hope we're starting to get there. I feel like we're entering another age of enlightenment where we're starting mm-hmm. to get there. There's always going to be pushback from the unenlightened when something like that happens, but I feel yeah. like we're on a really good road again, and that, that makes me feel very good and, um, and very safe in the world. You know, I... Yeah, and you know... Um... Sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, go ahead, please. You know, I, I was, I was going to say
1: that in a way, even though it sucks, you know, how much uh, we're kind of going backwards, Um, But I almost feel like you kind of feel almost comforted knowing that you're on the right track and you are making just enough progress to scare enough people to want to roll back, right?
0: So you must be doing something
1: right to be scaring people enough that they're going to try damn hard to try to take away those rights.
0: Absolutely. If we weren't evolving, yeah. um, there wouldn't be so much pushback. And I think in every one of the communities that I'm a part of, the, the, the spiritual community, the queer community, the entertainment community, I see that involvement and then the pushback against it um, as people try to break out of fear. You know, people say to me as an interfaith minister, I'm, I'm a pastor at Founders MCC. So a lot of folks in our congregation are folks in the LGBTQ plus community that ought to be able to be Christians. And so that's wonderful, and it's wonderful they have a place that they're free to do that, but they also sometimes don't feel like it's okay to grow their spiritual palate past that. And sometimes they'll ask me, like, is it okay that I like crystals or is it okay that I believe in reincarnation? Um, You know, we're sort of taught that every human being has to be the same. And an interesting thing you were talking about, when you were talking about drawing um, androgynous clothing, it's interesting how when you talk to a spiritual person, probably nine out of ten spiritual people will tell you that there is that, a, that a, a, angels don't have gender, the universe doesn't have a gender, um, you know, fairies don't have a gender, and even aliens don't have a gender. But yet mm-hmm. on the earth we're obsessed with this binary system, right? Right. It's so right. strange. If we are really trying to become like more involved, like uh, not so earthbound and more spiritual, wouldn't part of that be accepting the non-binary inside of all of us and that there are those mm-hmm. that just choose to not fit contradictions sometimes that human beings have within themselves?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it just goes back, I think, to the patriarchy <laughs> and, uh, and sure. what we've just been conditioned through generations and generations of people, right? Um, the people in power, the people who have control over what is in our media, in what we're taught. You know, we're just, if we were all just left to our own devices and not particularly given this, you know, down our throats kind of concept of how society and people should identify and be, I would be very interested to see how actually we would all evolve. How many of us would actually be non-binary and beyond gender and transcending beyond gender because we're just allowed to feel whatever we feel.
0: Exactly. Exactly, yeah. And feeling like we can do whatever we want and, and it's not attached to some kind of, Binary label, or even a non-binary label. You know, I'm, a, I'm an intersex right. person. I did not mm-hmm. find out until I was in my early 30s. Um, nobody told my mother when mm-hmm. I had the surgery um, when I was 17, but I had been diagnosed that I had to have the surgery since I was 11. Or nobody had ever told my mother anything, so she didn't know. And she was super enlightened. So she was mad nobody told her, and that she didn't know for 33 years. That was what made her mad. Um, right. So I started identifying more and more, Uh, probably by the time I was 40, I consulted on a film that um, as an intersex person had a main character that was intersex and the director didn't know anything about intersex folks. And the, one of my dear friends was the, uh, the other lead in the film and she turned me on to him. And then when the press came out to the film, they threw it to me because I was the one that had all the answers or as many answers as I have. Um, because I think being intersex is kind of a ever evolving beguiling thing. So I don't even know. I have the only own, all the answers about myself. Um,
1: right.
0: anyway, so uh, it's amazes to me that people say to me, but, but you, but you seem so this, or you seem so that like they already have an idea of what an intersex person should be. And I'm already not fitting in the box. So, right. um, it, it's, how we decide right, what we think somebody else is and yeah. whether or not and they're allowed to identify anyway. and I think we need to really get out of that old pattern because that's not good
1: right yeah and I mean I, and I think it's interesting that there are you know the right wing conservatives who like to kind of counter with like oh that's not natural that's not biological and yet if you look at nature there's plenty of species who also are, you know, introspects or beyond binaries yeah. of gender. Yeah. You know, and, and at the end of the day, I feel like government and society, all I feel like we should be doing for each other is, yes, there should be a guideline on how to be a good human, how to be kind and how to take care of each other. But as far as like how we identify who we get to love, like I don't feel like you know, those are things that anyone should be forcing down our throats. You know, of course, I mean, I get like there's some things that are wrong fundamentally, like ethically, and sure, those should be guidelines, right? But like other than that, like I just, I just don't understand like why there's this concept of like, you know, especially that like the religious right on um, what you know Western religion is so. Just so archaic in the way that it's—it's it's not even actually archaic, because back in the day, non-binary people were actually revered, you know, yeah. and um, honored. So, so it's not even like an old archaic tradition, you know. There's been the singular day used since back, you know, Shakespearean times, and yet today people are like that's grammatically wrong when it isn't. Um, so there's just a lot of things. I think there's a lot of ignorance maybe that's, that's what's causing a lot of this is that we have yeah. not, um, you know, culturally have not taught our future generation things from the past that were really enlightened and progressive, you know. And, and I don't know if that goes back again to like the white like patriarchal society. Um, there's a reason why yeah. some things are not taught, <laughs> you know. Um So, but yeah, you know, I I feel like if we could just live in a world where we could learn as much as possible, you know, and be open-minded, learn from our history, not to make the same mistakes again, not to, you know, put down any particular type of people to honor all people and celebrate all humans. I mean, that just seems like, why is it so hard? (laughs) You know, it seems kind of an easy concept to me. You know, and that's how I live my life. That's how I live every day of my life, making sure that I honor those beliefs, you know, and that I put that into the work that I do and everything I do.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's so important, right, that, 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 Mm -hmm. Those of us that are willing to be voices continue to be voices because some people are just flat out scared to be. And some people just believe they have nothing to say, even though I believe everybody has something to say. Um, it's so important that people who are willing to be out. And, and that's how I came out as Intersex. I, I always believed it was nobody's business. Like I always told my partners, because I think if you're going to be intimate with somebody, they need to know things about you. Um, nobody else ever knew. My mom knew. And I just didn't think it was anybody's business. And that was back mm-hmm. when I actually believed things about my life were nobody's business, Nick. Um, but then um, I tracked down the intersex advocate whom I had on a show when I was in my 30s, which is how I discovered I was intersex. And that's how I started asking questions. And he was on the air with me now, like, you know, 10 years later. And he said, you know, there's just really nobody um there are very few people, and this was, you know, 15 years ago. There are very few, almost 10, 10 years ago, there are very few people that, um, you know, are in media or have uh, any kind of presence that will admit to being intersex. And I like just mm. right there on the show, I blurted it out because I thought, wow, you know, now I realize I need to tell people and here's why. And I mm. think we all come to that time in our life where we, Sort of are at a crossroads, and we and we realize that it's time for us to start taking a stand for the world. Um, right. And that was that was my moment with that. I mean, there's been a lot of moments with a lot of other things I am, but that yeah. was my moment with that. And um, I realized that I didn't want to, I didn't want all those people to go their whole lives and not tell anybody. And it's funny because people always say to me, "Well, you could pass." I'm like, what does that even mean, you could pass? I mean, you know what I mean? I don't even know. Pass is what? Right. (laughs) Why would I? It's so strange to me because to me, gender (laughs) looks like, you know, because you're a a graphics person, Nick. You know that thing when you're, and I'm a graphics noob, so excuse me for explaining it this way, but you know when you go somewhere to design something and there's like that color wheel where all the colors are blurred into each other. And you can choose from, like, thousands of colors depending on where you put the little dot. To me, that's Mm -hmm. what the gender spectrum looks like. Like, it's just people are everywhere on there. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand what passing, like, oh, you know, that purple could pass as blue. Like, what does that even mean?
1: Right. Yeah, and there's, you know, the difference between gender identity versus gender expression, which could change, like, on a daily basis per, per hour, you know. And I, I mean I think yeah. it's beautiful and I really commend you for taking such a bold step to like just publicly announce, you know, yourself that way. It is something that it, is beautiful and powerful. And at the same time it's, yeah. it's also like there's a lot of people who not aren't afraid to say something because they're scared or they're shy, but because it's not safe for them. And so, so that's why I think for those of us who have the voice who are feeling empowered to use our voice and wh- whether it's safe or not, or if we're lucky that it happens to be safer, you know, um, we have to take those opportunities because every time we show our visibility and we are representing, we're making it just a little bit easier for those people out there who
0: aren't safe to do it, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right, who believe that there's something in their life. I mean, when I look back at my life, and I'm not a person, Nick, who believes in regrets at all, but when Me I look either. back on my life, I think about decisions I made in my life because I was trying to seem normal, and not just from a gender perspective or a sexuality perspective, but, you know, um, as an artist, as somebody who always felt so much more like a spiritual being with my psychic gifts, so many times I made this choices in my life to seem normal so I could offset all the things about me that weren't quote-unquote normal that I now think of as totally normal. And those were the things where I kind of sold myself short because I sort of tried to put myself in a box that I didn't belong in. And um, if I can help other people to not make that decision, then for me, that's <laughs> what it's all about, teaching more people to just, organically be who they are and not feel yeah. like they can't because we're a judgy species right we love to judge other people like we judge everything <laughs> there are yeah. whole shows where people judge how looks and how they're dressed and it's um you know it's just naturally what we do and i've always just kind of thought it was mildly annoying but for some people who really really want to fit in a certain way it's devastating for them and um mm-hmm. I, I've learned a lot being a pastor at founders because it never occurred to me somebody wanted to be Christian so badly that it was mm-hmm. devastating that they weren't allowed to be. Because for me, I've always thought, well, if that religion says no, go find one that says yes. But I also wasn't <laughs> right. raised hard for the church, right? So mm-hmm. we have to be very mindful of everyone else's experience, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: But even absolutely. if it's not ours. Yeah. So did yeah. you know... When you got into fashion, when you got into art, that your own queer experience, Nick, was going to become such a big part of everything that you do as an artist and as an artistic (laughs) present.
1: Absolutely not. I, I, you know, I mean, I knew from a very, very young age, I think I was probably like four or five, and I already knew I was in the wrong body. And I remember thinking, like, why are my cousins, you know, my cousins uh you know why are like my boy cousins different bodies than my body you know why don't i like why do i always want to play with you know their toys or his toys and i don't like any of these toys that like people are forcing on me you know uh i remember like every time my mom had a scooter or like a, a an interest a love interest they all like to bring me dolls for some reason and and i oh, remember okay. just feeling like you know, like not another doll, you know, like, because I don't, I was not a huge doll fr- fan, you know, like I'm masculine presenting and, and I, uh, you know, am trans and I knew I wanted to be a boy and I wanted to play with all of the boy stuff like Transformers and, you know, cars and, you know, all the things that are traditionally quote unquote boys. Um, those were the things I loved and I still love those things, you know. Uh, I Do I think that they're gender and they're only for boys now? No, not anymore, because now I see that they're just objects and everyone should have access to it, no matter what their identity is. It should. You should allow the user, the customer, or the person using it to decide what suits them, right? And, uh, but yeah, like, I, as an artist, though, you know, honestly, like, as I was saying earlier, you know, just to circle back, I started using art as a way to, I think, regulate, you know, as a way to heal my soul because I didn't feel like I belonged on this planet. I didn't feel like anybody wanted me. I didn't feel like I was meant to be here, right? Because I didn't understand why I felt so different on the inside. You know, I did not understand why I was being forced to wear things that I would have to cry and scream about. And in the end, I still was forced to wear them, you know. Nobody heard me because I didn't even know how to express myself as to why I knew I did not want to wear this. I was a child, you know. So uh, as I got older, I think, you know, we acclimate and we kind of just do the things we're expected to because, you know, I didn't want to have to fight anymore. I didn't want to have to fight for every little thing because I knew I was different and the world expected me to be another way. Um, and there were many times that I didn't want, I didn't want to live. You know, there were many times that I felt like it would be easier for me to just not even live and exist anymore instead of having to fight constantly just to breathe, you know, just to have another day. Um, and, and my art was kind of that way where I could put down on whatever medium I was using things that brought me joy. You know, and and for a while, I remember even in high school, um, I was I would always draw these very organic, curvy, androgynous figures intertwining. And looking back, I'm like, wow, that was like me talking about like love is love, you know, and talking about gender non-binary, but without having the words for it, right? Yeah. Um, and I never thought that it would end up being a part of my life's mission. You know, But uh, when I was in college, when I finally you know, decided that I, I'm going to make a decision at this moment to actually live and no more like trying to harm myself, no more thinking that I don't belong, I get to make my own future, and right now I choose to live. I think it was at that pivotal moment that I decided that I better make it fucking count. You know, <laughs> If I'm going to live, yeah. I don't want to just exist. I'm going to fucking thrive and I'm going to do everything within my power to leave this world better than I found it, you know, so that no, no other person like me will feel this way again, you know. And, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't know how it evolved into what I do now, which is completely about building a stronger community, building acceptance and love and um, celebration uh, but it just, it took many years from one job to the next, from one person, one networking, one connection to the next that helped me build my voice. You know, I mean, I used to get, like, <laughs> it was like be CMI, but when I was in college, I would get diarrhea just being in debate class or speech class, you know, because I did sure. not, did not feel like I had a voice and I did not feel I could you know, be in front of an audience or to speak my mind. I would be in meetings at work. I would have anxiety attacks because I could feel people, you know, having kind of like this transphobic or homophobic um, energy with me and I never felt like I could speak my voice, you know. And uh, as a project manager, that can be very challenging, you know, because you're in charge of so many things. But just slowly, you know, I just I knew that I had to be in the discomfort and learn how to be stronger so that I grow and I evolve so that I can get to my goal, which is that I want to make a difference, right? And I wasn't going to make a difference by not knowing how to use my voice. So even starting my own brand, you know, when I was in Europe, trying to, you know, get, you know, expert shoemakers to listen to me and help me make you know the first gender equal shoe. I faced so much transphobia, so much sexism, misogyny. I mean, you name it, I faced it. You know, um, but I just kept pushing, and somehow I he- I heard myself one day, and I found myself speaking. Like not louder and louder, but stronger and stronger, so that they would hear me, and find new ways to communicate, so that. I could stand up for myself, you know, and, uh, and have them hear me and respect me. And uh, that's, that's what I did is, is and now here I am, you know. I never thought I'd be on a podcast or being interviewed or anything like that. And certainly that was right. never what I wanted because I'm actually, I, lo- I much prefer to be behind the scenes. You know, I've always been kind of a producer, behind the scenes director. Like, I, like, I love those things that are creative. I, I really didn't want to be in the spotlight. Uh, and I, I look back and I think, you know, why did I name my brand after myself? You know, <laughs> I should have never done what? that because that, you know, that's, I, I didn't realize it was going to put me, force me to to really be in the spotlight. But I followed suit with all the other fashion designers. You know, I was a big fan of Calvin Klein and, you know Mizrahi I mean any designer, right? You're known by their name. That's their that's their line. Uh and so that's what I did. But I'm grateful that I made that mistake because it wasn't a mistake. I because I actually got so much out of it, you know, for myself. Like in in me. I learned so much from being uncomfortable and having, you know, to be in the, in the spotlight.
0: Yeah, isn't that great? But you always had it in you, right? You're just, I mean, I think sometimes the voices that need to be heard are held back because they're not the people that are naturally the pushiest kinds of people. You know, I always say that with my entertainment career, email saved me because once I could write a letter and send it to somebody, that was so much more in my comfort zone than code calling someone and trying to sell myself. Like that terrified me. So once I could just send a letter, it was so much easier for me. But some people were really good at the tracking down agents and bars and selling themselves as a client. And I'm just too shy. I was never that person. So, um, yeah, it's interesting sometimes how it it takes a while for people to find their external voice when their internal Mm -hmm. voice is so clear. And oftentimes artists, I think, are like that where we're better working with the art than we are trying to sell it to the masses. And you have to kind mm-hmm. of train yourself. I always say that it's like I had to form an exoskeleton to learn to deal with people on the outside, to present as an extrovert when I'm totally an introvert. You know? Yeah.
1: You know, it's so funny you say that because so many people that have
0: met me think I'm like a
1: total extrovert. Um, me too. You know, they see me out networking, connecting, connecting people. And, and in actuality, I'm, like, a complete introvert. When I go out, it, it is because I love and I believe in what I'm doing, but it takes a toll out of me. And I need to go home for yeah. the two days to be by myself, <laughs> you know, to regenerate those, that energy that's been sucked away. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but it, it, is, it, it is why I think that, you know, there's never an excuse for people um, to say, like, oh, I'm, I can't do this. Or I'm not good at that, you know, because to me, uh, nobody was good at anything until they tried and they practiced until they got better, you know. And nobody was born to just know how to do things until they tried, you know. Even the greatest artists, whatever prodigies, like if they didn't pick up that tool or that chalk or pencil or, or paint, they wouldn't have known, you know. And so that's why I think that everything i- be, i believe in just trying everything to make sure if you you know you never know
0: yes, yes, so true so true and didn't and just as a side note really quick, because I want to make sure we talk about. Fashion Week and queer prom and everything, but didn't wasn't there a part of you, Nick, that kind of loved COVID because you didn't have to go anywhere? I mean, horrible that we all got sick and horrible that people died, and I don't think my body will ever be the same since I had COVID, but mm. wasn't the quarantine kind of magic in the sense that you just got to be in your home and not have to be out all the time around people? It's But it's what but yeah. I have to learned from kind of my So skeleton build it up again to be around people. Right.
1: Yeah, no, I actually completely agree with you. And it was definitely a
0: very um,
1: conflicting uh, feeling for me because I live alone uh, at the time. And um, I, in March, before we even knew it was COVID, I got sick. I was out constantly, you know, socializing, networking, doing community work. And, uh, and I was one of the first people to get super, super sick. And I have an immune, uh, I'm a compromised immune system because um, I have a kidney disease. So, so when I get sick, I get sick, you know. And, and I was like, wow, this flu is like the worst flu ever, you know. Um, and it got progressively worse and worse. And I, all of a sudden people were like, oh, you can't go out. We don't know what this is. I talked to my doctor. They had no mm-hmm. tests. There was just nothing anybody can do. And I was home by myself, unable to breathe. You know, it's not for social media. I would have felt so isolated. And, you know, I had a friend in Florida who's a nurse, Dina Proto, and she, thank goodness, would check up on me every four hours to make sure I was still alive. And she helped, like check, you know, my oximeter, my pulse, my oxygen, all of these things. And, you know, at one point my oxygen was down to 82. And she's like, you really need to go to the ER. And I was trying really hard not to go to the hospital because, one, you know, who likes going to the hospital? And, two, I just I just didn't want to be, like, even more isolated, you know? Like, great, now, like, right. who knows what will happen at the hospital, Right. Um, and, you know, but I, I gave in and she, you know, really urged me to because it was progressively getting worse. And I called the ER and, uh, you know, paramedics came, but they wouldn't even come into my house. They forced me to walk out of the door by myself because they were afraid to come into my home. And, uh, and it was really humbling because it taught me. How much people, like, literally, their jobs are to go into people's homes and save them, <laughs> but they were too right. afraid to. And it was a great analogy for how people are when they don't understand something, and they don't yeah. know something, that often fear will consume them and prevent them from doing the one thing that they were meant to do, you know? Yes. yeah. And, uh, yeah. And yeah, they wouldn't take me to the hospital because it was full and they were afraid. And then they said, if it gets worse, call us. And I said, if it gets worse, I'm not going to be able to call you. (laughs) Um, Because it took everything out of me just to even call them this time, you know. But there was something about being so pissed off because I was just like, fuck it. Like This is exactly why I didn't want to call them in the first place. I wanted to just go to sleep. You know, I don't even care anymore. I just want to sleep. I want to rest. And, uh, and I think I got so angry that, you know, after 14 days of not going to the bathroom, not eating, not doing anything except drink water, uh, that experience kick-started my body and, like, all my organs. And all of a sudden, like, I just texted my friend after the paramedics left and I said, I just want to go to sleep and I'm not going to text you every four hours. I'm going to text you when I wake up, you know, and that's it. And, uh, and I did. And I was the most glorious eight hours of my life because I actually slept and I didn't care if I didn't wake up. I just wanted to rest. And I think eight hours later, I finally got up and I had to go to the bathroom. (laughs) And I was like, this is great. This is a good sign because for 14 days, my body shut down to try to heal itself. And, uh, wow. and then I started to slowly get hungry day by day. And it took, I would think I was home for at least another two months by myself before I was able to feel good enough to go out, you know, get tested, you know. And then as soon as I was safe, I was like donating, you know, c- gathering PCPs to go donate to hospitals, making drives out to people that were short on toilet paper. Because by then, I was better, and I had an in- immunity, and everybody else was starting to get really sick and freaking out about, like, getting toilet paper, you know? And so I drove right. around all around Los Angeles. I mean, I literally drove everywhere trying to buy toilet paper to bring to people that couldn't access it, you know? It was really That's an incredible, awesome. like, experience, yeah. The, the roads were empty, you know? I mean, it was, it was really incredible, and you know, I was able to, you know, bring tons of like masks and, you know, foot, footies, uh, to, uh, my friend's hospital where she worked. Um, but yeah, but yes, back to what you were saying, it was, um, scariest, like three months of my life, but also like the best three months because I had not slept that much in a lifetime, you know, uh, yeah. um, and it was yeah. really great. Yeah. But it made me miss people it, for the first time it taught
0: me it taught me a lot of things it taught me that my health comes first because i mm-hmm. used to be the kind of person that you know i would do a three hour red carpet just to take a picture with every single person until i felt like i was going to pass out and, and i don't mm-hmm. do that anymore i don't push my now that i survived covid twice um and i had long covid the first time for 18 months afterwards i don't i don't push myself over the limit like that anymore i i take care of me mm-hmm. first and um, the other thing is that you know, I, I say yes to everything I can, but I, sometimes I say, nope, that's, that's not good for me. And the, the other thing is right. sleep. I sleep. I tell myself, look, yeah. I work for myself. I can technically book clients anytime I want. I don't have any clients today or a radio show or a video show or anything until 3, 4 o'clock. If I want to take a nap and put myself down for a couple hours, um, sleep is one of the best ways that you can take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, yes. I don't say no to it anymore. As a matter of fact, I, I have a friend who's uh, one of her daughter's uh, friends' parents is a kind of a big founder of stem cell research. And they were talking about cancer because she had cancer in 2016. And he told her that the of all the studies they've done of cancer, the four best ways to keep yourself cancer free are hydrate, uh, sleep, de-stress, and laugh. So I always think about that since COVID. And I always think about how those things got me through COVID and long-haul COVID. So now I try to always do those things whenever I can. So I got a couple hours, I sleep. Because especially the work that I do, you know, with people as a healer can be very energetically draining. So I allow myself to recharge. I think we don't we don't need to feel guilty for taking care of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think that's so but you probably haven't slept in two weeks because you've got all this stuff coming up. Yeah, so yeah. So tell, tell my listeners a little bit about what's coming up this week, starting with gay prom.
1: Yeah, so queer prom uh, was something that uh, we created last year to help fundraise for Equality Fashion Week. Equality Fashion Week uh, is the first LGBTQ-focused fashion week in L.A. that I created back in 2018. And, uh, you know, we went from, like, 250 people attending And like six designers the first year to doubling everything, if not tripling the second year in 2019, Uh, we moved from, you know, the Montrose Boutique Hotel in West Hollywood to the Globe Theater in downtown and just, you know, had a a much higher production value and experience and the show is fantastic. And this is all to really... You know, the goal was to raise money to help like worthy nonprofits that are trans focused, like Trans Latina Coalition, uh, who's our fiscal sponsor. But the larger goal, the mission really is to create visibility and, and build a literal platform for our, you know, QT BIPOC community. Um, you know, those who are most underrepresented and least visible, yeah, you know, that's the, those are the people that I want to highlight and give a platform to. And we also want to fairly compensate them equitably because that's really the only way to, to grow and build our community. You know, we need to stop asking people to work for free, uh, particularly people who can't afford to should be able to make a wage, you know, from their services. And, the, you know, the pandemic really took a toll on the momentum that we were building. And so we've been on hiatus ever yeah. since. And last year, as things were opening up, I realized that I still didn't feel quite safe. You know, because the last Equality Fashion Week, we had, like, over 750 people in attendance. So last year, I still did not feel safe trying to do such a big event, but I figured I can do a smaller event to help raise money for it because it costs a lot of money to compensate over, you know, 150 queer people, you know, Um, and so Queer Prom was kind of born out of that concept of, like, what can we do To celebrate and honor our community and build unity, you know, and community with each other in all of its, like, diverse, inclusive beauty that we have. Um, But, like, also honor, like, that we've been struggling, but that it's okay to also find joy, you know, because we have had so much strife the last few years. We continue to have so much more strife coming our way, um, but what makes our community so incredible, in my opinion, is our, our our resilience, you know, and our persistence, and that we're able to always come together and celebrate our community, and that's what we need to keep doing because there are so many people out there who are trying to take our joy away. They're not only just taking our rights away, but they're trying to erase parts of our community like myself. And we cannot let them take our joy away, right? And we have to find ways to come together and work together because when we work together, we're going to be stronger and we're going to be a a lot more effective and they will not be able to beat us down when we're together. Uh, And that includes our allies, you know. So the queer prom this year is about building that community and that unity together and, you know, taking us back to the times of, like, Studio 54 when life was also really rough back then, you know, they went through Vietnam War, they went through the AIDS epidemic, and yet people were able to gather in one place and dance their butts off, you know, no matter if they were, like, Bianca Jagger or Michael Jackson or whomever, celebrity, and you know, the blue-collar person down the block, everybody got together. And it didn't matter who they loved or how they looked, how they dressed, you know, or who, who they loved and how they identified, right? None of those things mattered. It just mattered that they were there for the music. And so tomorrow night at Sunset Edition, at uh, through the partnership with the West Hollywood Edition and the City of West Hollywood for, as part of their WeHo Pride programming, We're going to be gathered together at Sunset, uh, which was actually created by the co-founder of the original Studio 54, Ian Schrager. Um, So it's going to be just an incredible event because we're going to be in a space that's super uber elevated, you know, and in a space that many of us sometimes don't have access to. And that's another way that I, I am always aiming to uplift our community is to teach us you know, particularly those most marginalized that like we deserve to be in these spaces. We're human and we're beautiful. And we're amazing. We're just like yeah. the rest of the community. We should get to be here too, you know. And um, and we're going to have an amazing lineup of DJs, performers. Uh, Mayor Steffi Schein going to be there to speak. Uh, Bambi Sassero, you know, founder of Trans Latina Coalition will be there to speak. That's just an amazing lineup. You know, I, I really highly recommend people go. We're already sold out of our VIP ticket, um, so I mean, I can't begin to tell you how excited I am because I don't even I, I don't even feel like it's real yet, you know. And I keep asking so awesome. like somebody to pinch me, you know, because we found out you know some of the other guests are coming, like Alexander Gray, and um, you know I think it's like Dylan Mulvaney may coming. Uh, maybe even Melissa Etheridge. I heard. I'm not sure, right? Like, but the idea that it's at least even getting heard. You know, we were on the Fox News last night, which is kind of surprising because I'm like Fox News, you know? Sure. Um, yes. But it was, yeah. We were on Fox <laughs> 11. You know, and uh, and I'm just like, hey, you know, I'll take it because even if just one person saw that little tidbit on Fox 11 last night and was like, oh wow you know i didn't I didn't know about this, and it helped open up their minds just a little bit to why this is important then then we're getting somewhere right and then our job is not done, but we're we're doing the right thing we're getting we're on the right course um, so hopefully this helps really elevate equality Fashion Week, which I'm gonna be doing in october and uh and you know we're raising money to make that event happen so so I'm really grateful for all, all of our incredible sponsors. You know, T-Mobile has been sponsoring us for so many years now, um, and I'm so grateful. And all of the community sponsorships that we've had from the local community and all the nonprofits, uh, I just feel very, very blessed that I have an incredible army, you know, of people in the community that believe in what I'm doing and that we're all in this together.
0: And and also, you know, it's a prom, which I think is important because for I think to have a queer prom, for a lot of queer folks, their high school prom was not all they had hoped it would be. I think it's much Mm -hmm. different now for kids going to school now in in many parts of the country. Uh, Some parts still have a little work to do. But it's, um, I see my friends, uh, their kids going and their grandkids going, and I think, oh, it's so different now. You go any way you want. You dress however you want. Uh, there wasn't the stigma there was when, when I was – some places, yes. The, yeah. the places that there was when, when I was going to proms in the 80s. So I think that's wonderful. and I think, So I think a lot of folks that didn't have the prom experience they wanted can have it now tomorrow night, and I think that's, that's super beautiful.
1: Yeah, thank you. You know, I, like, saying like, I, I never went to prom because I did not, you know, it, the, this rite of passage in the American culture has been so just, like, kind of shoved down our throats through entertainment and media on, like, what the expectations of that night is. And it, I was just mortified that, like, I would have to, Dress up a certain way. Be expected to, you know, dance with a boy, kiss a boy, or maybe even lose my virginity type of thing. Like, and I was just like, oh my god, there's no way I'm gonna go. <laughs> you know, um, it just was too much pressure on so many levels. And I, I was just hoping that I can rec- recreate that moment, but in a, in an environment that is inclusive and loving. And doesn't have any pressure except to just have fun. Just celebrate each other and have a good time. And that's it.
0: Yeah. I think that's so wonderful. Because I think when we're doing all of our advocacy and our activism as, yeah. as folks in the LGBTQ community, it's so important that we not also forget that we have to have fun. You know, yeah. it's, it's, yes, yeah. it's wonderful to get out there, be a voice, stand up, you know, be political or sociological or cultural or spiritual, however you look at your queerness. But it's also so important that we have fun, that it's not so serious all the time, that sometimes we're allowing as human beings ourselves to have a good time and to do something, you know, that's like a normal person thing, like go to a prom, go somewhere and dance, have (laughs) fun, have some drinks. It doesn't always have to be so serious all the time because we're supposed to enjoy our lives as well.
1: Exactly. You know, every day that we are living, we're doing the work, and it can get so exhausting. And so that's why it's really important yes. for us to, to just put our, all the work aside for a night and just go enjoy ourselves, let loose, and tomorrow, you know, after will be another day where we get back to work again. But if we don't take care of ourselves yes. in those ways, it's going to be too much. We're going to not be able to keep
0: working. You know? Yes. Yes, exactly. And what a great way to kick off Pride Month. I mean, everything about it is just delicious, Nick. And I'm I'm Thank so you. excited that you're doing it. And I'm so excited to be able to be here helping out by letting you get the word out. Are tickets still available? And where so can much. people get tickets? Where from?
1: They can go to equalityfashionweek.com. There's a few tickets left, I believe, for general missions. Uh, we are going to allow people to get um, by, by, Tickets at the door as long as we're not at capacity. So that's why we're telling everyone for early. If you have a ticket, early arrival, so that we can get you know, well, everybody in before the programming starts, which starts at eight thirty. Doors open at basically got thirty minutes to get three hundred people in, um, which I think is totally doable. Uh, and then after that, you know, people who don't have tickets can try to to get one at the door. It's going to be an amazing event. It's going to be incredible music from the 70s and 80s, uh, and, nice. you know, it's just, just, just dance, you know, I just want everyone dancing all night, sweaty dancing, you know, like, just sweat
0: all of right. the crap out. <laughs> right, exactly, like, yeah. exactly. totally, complete Studio 54, sweat till so you pass mm-hmm. out, and then drink a bunch and sweat some more. Exactly. <laughs> love that, I love that, I hope to see you there, I'm excited. Absolutely. I'm sure
1: you will. Uh, Thank you so much for your support, inviting me to be on your show. And just, you know, the affirming things you have said to me, uh, it it always makes a difference, you know, whenever, whenever I get to receive that. So I'm honored. Thank you very much.
0: I'm so glad I meant every word of it. I hope you'll come back and we'll do this again. I would love it. I would love just some time for you to come back and just talk about spiritual stuff with me. That would be so much fun.
1: I am super into that. So anytime.
0: All right, we'll do it. We'll do it once you slow down a little bit. Once the once the prom is over and you can relax, we'll do it. Um, after Pride, people after find Pride you is you, over. <laughs> yes, after Pride Month, where can people find yeah. you? Um, just in general, find out about you and your art and your shoes and everything.
1: Sure. Yeah, I don't have a linked uh, tree, link tree page yet because I really should. Uh, but you can find me, yeah. obviously, Equality Fashion Week. NickCasey.com is where you'll find my shoes and, and my designs, uh, and then my Instagram is at Nick Casey, which is my personal. At Nick Casey Footwear for my shoes, at Equality Fashion Week for the fashion show and prom, and then at Nick Casey Presents because that's a new account I even started. That basically because I produced all these events, I figured this is also kind of a, a side gig. <laughs> So uh, I'm of trying to make that happen um, because I do love event production and I love bringing in, you know, to life the vision that I have that is just so special because I want want every event that I create to be, you know, a lasting memory, you know, for the person that's coming. Um, So I feel very blessed to be able to do that.
0: I love that so much. Thank you for being here, my friend. You are wonderful, and I appreciate you, Thank and you. I can't wait to have you back, and I'll see you tomorrow night.
1: Great. Thank you so much. Take care.
0: Thank you. The so wonderful Nick Casey, everybody. If you missed those links, dot SheenaMetalSpiritual.com. That's my website for all of your psychic and spiritual and paranormal needs. You can learn a lot about my entertainment life there as well. Also, on social media, I'm everywhere, at Sheena Metal. Until I see you Next week on Raising the Vibration Radio, of course, the nonprofit RaisingTheVibration.org and the radio show RaisingTheVibrationRadio.com, and we're at Live Paranormal Network and at iHeartRadio.com. My friends, seek peace, live in love, lead with kindness, embrace unity, always work to raise your vibration, and most importantly, remember that you are love and you are loved. And you're loved by me. And I'll see you next week. I'm Sheena Metal, and this is Raising the Vibration. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire? Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. <laughs>